Dog Song, Chapter 2, Page 12. There was a time when I was young. It was a bad time when there was not meat anywhere you looked and we'd eaten all of the dogs. We asked our old mother if we could kill her and eat of her until the deer came back and we would have done that thing. We would have done that thing. But that morning a deer came and my uncle took it with an arrow in the right manner and we did not have to do that thing. More deer came and we did not have to eat our old mother. An old Eskimo telling of his youth. Russell had been in Ugrik's house many times, but he always stopped before he went in. The dogs always drew him, drew his eyes over, and he stopped. They were tied near the elevated food cache, a rough log hut up on stilts. They watched him with interested eyes, slanted, deep eyes, watched him as he threw the caribou heads on the ledge surrounding the food cache, the dogs. There were five of them, great red beasts with blue eyes, a cross between Wolf and Mackenzie River Huskies with some Copper Mine River Village blood mixed in. They were shy, aloof dogs who did not want people to touch them except to harness them or feed them. Russell knew little of the dogs, but a man who knew dogs said they were good. They were the only team in the village and never worked, so they were fat, but the fat hid muscle that could go on forever. Russell turned away from them and went to the door of Ugrik's house. Again he stopped, hesitating. It wasn't that he was afraid to go in. Everybody was welcome at Ugruk's. The old man loved company. It was more that Ugruk lived differently and inside the house, which outside looked like any government box. You had to change. The mind had to change. And the nose, Russell thought, grimacing, because Ugruk lived the old way. He would not allow electricity, used a seal oil lamp, and had skins on the floor. Some of the skins, all from caribou, were green tanned and they smelled when they grew warm. It was not a bad smell, but it was strong and it took some getting used to. As did Ugruk, the way of Ugruk, the way he looked and was, it took a different thinking. Russell opened the door without knocking, as was the custom, and went in and closed the door. Outside there had been bright light and sea wind off the frozen sea ice, salt wind. Inside, it was almost pitch dark. The windows were covered with smoke grime, and the room was full of smoke from the lamp on a box in, a, in the corner, a seal oil lamp with a moss wick that threw a tiny yellow glow around the room. Leaning against the wall were harpoons and lances. Hanging on nails were arrow bags and bows and small ivory carvings. On the nails were other skin clothes, squirrel skin undergarments and caribou skin parkas some old and some not so old, all hanging loosely and thick with the smoke. Against the far wall sat Ugruk. At first it was hard to know where the smoke ended and Ugruk began. Except for a small breech clout, he was nude, and his skin was the same color as the smoke, a tan brown, rich and oily. His hair had gone white, or would have been white, if it had been, if it had taken the smoke, but it had taken the smoke too seemed to have flown into the smoke and become part of the smoke from the lamp. Hello, hello, you sit down and we'll talk for a while. The voice was strong. It always amazed Russell to hear Ulrich's voice. He was so old, but the voice moved like strong music. I will talk for you. Russell nodded and sat near the right wall, glad that nobody else was there. Often children would come in to listen with respect but out of curiosity more than anything. And Russell was glad that they were not there now. 
I brought some deer heads for you, he said, when they'd settled down the hides. With the eyes, they're out on the platform. Ugric swiveled his head to face Russell. The eyes were opaque, a milk blindness over them, but Russell never thought of him as blind. I eat the eyes when I can, but people don't save them anymore, Ugric said. Should I bring them in? Later, later. Did you see my dogs when you come in? Russell nodded, then remembered the blindness and said aloud, Yes, they are well. They are fat. Good. I don't drive them anymore, but they are good dogs, and I worry they don't get fed enough. They are being taken care of by everybody. They are all right. Ogrick said nothing for a time. The eyes moved back to the flame from the lamp, so the thick white caught the yellow for the, of the light and glowed for a second. Dogs are like white people, Ogrick said, looking at the flame. They do not know how to get a settled mind. They're always turning, looking for a better way to lie down. And if things go wrong, they have anger and frustration. They are not like us. It is said that dogs and white people come from the same place. He snorted, a nasal sound, a kind of chuh sound through his nose that could have meant anything from scorn to anger to humor. I do not know how true that is because white people are clearly not dogs, but they have many of the same ways, so one wonders. Russell nodded but said nothing. One time he had seen a bush pilot who had crashed his plane near the village. The plane was broken in the middle and the pilot had stood screaming at it and kicking it for failing him and falling from the sky. He treated the plane like a living animal until he got tired. Then he walked away as a dog would walk away from a stick he'd been tearing at. Ogrick sighed. I will tell you about something. We used to have songs for everything and nobody knows the songs anymore. There were songs for dogs, for good dogs and bad dogs, and songs to make them work or track bear. There were songs for all of everything. I used to know a song that would make the deer come to me so that I could kill it. And I knew a man who could sing a song for whales and make them come to his harpoon. The flame guttered in the lamp and Russell saw Ugric use a small ivory tool to brush the burned moss away to clean the flame. A new yellow filled the room, cut through the smoke, then paled down as the twisted moss burned on the end. Russell shifted and stuck his legs out straight in front of him, Eskimo fashion, and relaxed. He leaned back against the wall. There were things he wanted to ask, but he did not know what they were. Part of his mind was turning over, but another part was full of a strange patience, and so he waited. Sometimes it was better to wait. Maybe you could bring in those eyes and put some snow on the pot and we'll warm them up. Cold eyes are bad to eat. Russell got up and went outside. The wind was stronger now, bringing cold off the ice, but he didn't wear a coat and liked the tightness the cold caused when it worked inside his shirt, his light shirt. He used his belt knife to pop the caribou eyes out of two skulls. They levered out with surprising difficulty and stopped by the door to take down the pan hanging on the wall and fill it with snow. He put the eyes on top and took the pan and the snow inside and handed them to Ugruk, who held the pan over the lamp. One misses women, the old man said. I had some good wives, but they are gone. Two died back before the white men came, died bearing children. And the last one just left. She went up to the mining town to a party, didn't come back. One misses women. Russell said nothing. 
he was seated again, again, leaning against the wall, and as with dogs, he knew nothing of women. The girls smiled at him with round faces and merry eyes, but he was not ready for women yet, and so knew nothing of them. They cooked and sewed for me. Eyes and meat taste better when cooked by women. That's the truth. Russell had never eaten eyes. He knew the fluid in them would be too salty. He smiled. Were there songs for the women, too? He wanted Ogurk to talk of the songs again. Ogurk grinned, the teeth worn down to the gums, the hair hanging down past his cheeks. As the memory grew, so did the grin, until finally, after a couple minutes, he laughed openly. They always shined in the snow houses, shined with fat and oil. It was a thing to be young then. It was everything to be young. It wasn't that there were songs for women, he said, coming back to the subject. It's that the women were the songs. Russell reached over. The pot was tipping in Ugrik's hand and the melted snow was about to spill into the lamp and douse the flame. Ugrik stuck a finger in the water and found it to be warm. He reached into the pan and took out an eye and popped it in his mouth, using his gums to crush it and swallow the juice noisily. Have one. He held the pan out. They are good. I brought them for you. Besides, I ate before I left the house. I had meat. Ogurk nodded and slowly, one by one, ate the three other eyes, smacking his lips with the joy of it. When he was done, he slapped his stomach. They are good. Later, when you are gone for the long time, you will wish you hadn't eaten them. Had eaten them. Russell almost missed it. Then it hit him. What do you mean, gone for the long time? But Ugurk was again in his memories. I saw a thing once that was hard to understand. We were talking of songs, and this man lived when I was young, and he was very old, and he had a song for the small birds. They would fly in flocks and move this way and that and would flick the light of the sun off their breasts, snowbirds. So this man was named Ulgovic, and he had a song to make the birds dance. When he sang it one way, they would fly that way, and when he sang, wanted them to change, he would sing it another way, and they would take the light and go that way. It was a thing of beauty. But Russell was fixed on the earlier comment. What did you mean about being gone for the long time? This man, Ogovic, knew dogs. He knew birds, but he knew dogs too, so that when he got old and his eyes went to milk, it did not matter. He would run his team blind and knew the dogs so well that what the dogs saw came back up through the sled, and he saw that too. The dogs were his eyes. Maybe if Ogovic were alive, he would tell you how to know dogs and birds. Russell closed his eyes and thought of Ogovic running blind out across the sea ice, blind into the white, but such a thing couldn't be. What we need is mu some muktuk, Ugrik said. I haven't had any for a long time. Do you know where there is some muktuk? No, everybody is out of it, Russell thought, of the delicate little squares of whale blubber that had been fermented all summer in rancid seal oil. They had a nutty, sweet stink taste, but the village had not taken a whale that year, which was considered very bad luck. Russell thought it was because of the snow machines, because they scared the seals and whales away by sending their ugly noise down through the ice. But he didn't say what he thought. There will be no whales until the ice is gone, and then I don't think they will come. Ugrik sat quiet for a time, then he sighed, because of the machines. Russell started, is that what you think? No, that is what you think. 
I think they will not come because we are wrong now and don't deserve them, and they know that. We don't have the songs anymore, and they don't hear us singing, and so they know we don't deserve muktuk. Of course, I could be wrong, and it could be the machines. How did you know I felt that way about snow machines? Again, the flame sputtered, and again, Ugrik trimmed it to be, bring the light up, and Russell only then realized with a start that if Ugrik was blind, truly blind, he could not see the flame sputter. It is the way one thinks, Ugrik said. I know the way you think, and so I know that you feel what you feel about the machines and the whales. How can you tell when the lamp goes down if you can't see? Russell blurted. Questions, questions. Did you come here to ask questions, or did you come here to find out the way it was? Russell knew he was right. In truth, he had not known why he came to Ugrik's house, just that he had come, that something had been bothering him, just as his father had known that something had been bothering him, and that Jesus probably wouldn't be able to help him, even though he helped Russell's father quit drinking. But Ugrik was right. That's why he had come. There was something wrong with the way things were now, something wrong with him. He wanted to be more somehow, but when he looked ahead, he didn't see more. He only saw less. Ogrek wiped his face with his hands and smoothed the shine of the oil and sweat. He turned to face Russell, and his voice grew serious. Some of my memory is like my eyes, dead and gone. That is the way of age. And so some of the things I should tell you... I can't because they are gone, just gone, like melted ice in the spring. I held them as long as I could, but many of them are gone now. That is all right. Tell me what you can and that will be enough. I don't know. I don't know if it will be enough for what you have to do, but it is all I have. Still, one is hungry. Russell thought of the food cache outside. Is there meat in your cache? I could bring some in. Ogrek nodded. There is much meat. Deer and a seal that some young men brought by. Why don't you bring in a piece of the deer and we'll put it in the pot and get it warm? Maybe the warm meat will help my memory. Russell went outside and opened the cache. There was no seal, but there were some parts of caribou, two back legs, and eight or nine front shoulders. Ogrek obviously couldn't hunt for himself, so people brought him spare meat. That explained all the front shoulders. It was not the best part of the animal. The tenderloin down the back was gone, the best part, so Russell took one of the back legs out. He used an axe leaning on the shelf to cut off large slivers, long chunks of the marbled meat, happy to see the fat streaks and thick layer of fat on the legs. Fat was everything. And while deer fat wasn't as good as whale or seal or even pig lard from the trading post, it was good enough when it was hot. It turned to tallow on the lips when it cooled, but at first it was all right. Some of the chips from the axe flew into the nearest dog's circle, and he got up slowly and walked out on his chain to pick them up. Lazy dog, Russell said aloud and was answered by a low growl. Not one of anger, but of shyness and suspicion. A low rumble that came from the dog's chest. Russell didn't know the dog's name, didn't know any of the dogs. Always, they were just Ugrik's dogs. It was Ugrik's dogs making noise howling, or Ugrik's dogs who had bitten somebody, or Ugrik's dogs who had gotten into a fight. He didn't know their names. With the meat under one arm, like large red pages from a thick book, he went back into the house. It was still light, hazy light, but the light only held for three hours a day. He knew it would be dark soon. 
Across the ice would come the late afternoon wind and light, both hitting the village, the light dying as it always did in the winter, dropping fast, and the wind making huge drifts off the beach. Sometimes in the late middle of winter, the drifts became so large they covered the houses. Inside, he put a couple of slivers of meat in the pot and Ugrik held it over the lamp to warm it up. Another question was bothering Russell, one inspired by the dogs, and he had decided to ask it. You have dogs there, but there is no sled. Don't you have a sled? Ugrik nodded. In the lean-to next to the house, it is old but made of hardwood that came from the sea and so has strength. When the deer meat was heating on the lamp, Ugrik holding it over the flame with a corded arm, a wire arm, the old man let breath out of his nose. I have not been counting the summers and winters of my age, but I am old. I am old enough to, that I hunted before we had guns, old enough to remember what it was like before. Russell was once again seated, legs sticking out straight, leaning back against the wall. The smell of the heating deer meat mixed with the smell of the smoke from the lamp and made him hungry. The smoke smelled like burned meat, the salty smell of burned meat. It must have been something back then. Ogurk made the cha sound. It was more than that. We lived so differently, so far back and different that it almost cannot be understood now. Now they use guns and make noise. Back then we were quiet and the animals felt different about dying. But that's just one thing, one little thing that was different. A third time Russell got up. He went to the wall where the weapons hung and took down a small bow made of wood laminated with slivers of horn wrapped in rawhide. It had a string made of sinew, and after much grunting and heaving, he got the bow strung. When he tried to pull it back, his shoulders knotted, but the string only came back four or five inches. All this while Ugrik sat quietly, waiting, an air of study on his face. Russell unstrung the bow and put it back on the wall. There was a skin pouch of arrows that he took down, and he pulled several arrows out of it. They had bone and antler points, some with jagged barbs, others with smooth edges. There is a museum in the mining town, Russell said. I was there once when I was sick and went to the doctor. In the museum, there are many things like this bow and those lances. Some of them come from back a long time. Ugrik nodded. I have not been up to the town, although I've had many chances. But I've heard of the museum and the old tools. There is a difference. I have used these weapons to take meat. They do not belong in a museum, he snorted, any more than I belong in a museum. These tools are for using, not looking at. Russell took down a lance. The shaft of wood was of wood that had been scraped and straightened to take the ivory cup and point on the end. The point itself was a small toggle, razor sharp, that would tip once it entered the animal and be impossible to pull out. The toggle point was attached to a piece of supple leather, a long lashing that had been kept soft and greased just as the bow and arrows have been kept in good shape. All these years, Russell said, all this time you have taken care of these things. When I was young man, I came down this coast in a umiak with four other men. We had some trouble back in a village up north, and we came down to make this village. After we found meat, we went to get wives, and we made this place where we are now. You made this village? At first it was just us. Then others came because there were good fish here and much game. And so it was a good place and we had good food and good songs. 
everybody had a song then and that song was just for that person that's how it was what happened to the songs why don't we have them anymore Ugurk set the pot down and rested his arm the meat was still too cold to eat he picked the pot up and held it over the flame again using the small tool to clean the moss wick first we had those songs until the first missionary came he said they were wrong for some reason or another like dancing was wrong at first nobody believed him and we laughed at him but he kept talking about it being wrong to have the songs and the dances and said how we would go to hell if we did not give them up of course we all we laughed again because we did not understand what this hell was he took a breath russell knew about hell from his father the same way he knew about jesus it was not that we were stupid ogre continued just that we didn't know about hell so he told us about the fire and pain and these demons as he called them who would tear the strips of meat off us so many of the people quit singing and dancing because they feared hell and even when the missionary became crazy with the winter and we had to drive him out the damage was done people were afraid to sing and dance and we lost our songs russell frowned can we get them back could i get a song ogre thought for some time it is not like that. You don't get songs. You are a song. When we gave up our songs because we feared hell, we gave up our insides as well. If we lived the way we used to live, maybe the songs would come back. Maybe if we lived the right way again. His voice took on a sadness and became soft. But nobody is doing that. I will. It came without Russell knowing it was coming. A simple statement. Two words. And when he said them, he knew he meant them. He needed to go back and become a song. I will, he repeated, leaning once more against the wall. I will try to get a song. No, I will get a song. I will be a song. But I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. Ogrek nodded. That is true. There has been nobody to teach you. All the fathers have moved from the old ways and so have the mothers. And so the long time required to pass on the right information is not there. Ogre fell into silence. If you wanted me to, Russell prompted, or if you wanted to, Russell prompted, you could tell me the way. At length, Ugurk nodded again. That is why you are here, of course. You are here to learn and I will try. I will try. But I do not know it all, and there will be things I miss. Still, we will do what we can. All this time, he had been holding the meat pot over the fire, and now he set it aside. The meat was steaming, and he took a piece out and produced an ulu and bit down and chewed and cut with chewed with warm guns, swallowing when the meat was softened. Russell took some meat and tore with his teeth. He had no knife with him, and he chewed and swallowed, and they made no talk while they ate. There was some fat on the meat, and the grease ran down their chins and hardened, and Russell used his arm to wipe it away. They ate again until the meat was gone, and when they were done with the meat, Ugrik picked up the pot and drank deeply and handed it to Russell, who did the same. The water blood soup was still warm and went down easily. The silence grew when they'd finished eating, but it was not wrong. Russell felt like sleeping, yet when he closed his eyes, it wasn't sleep that came. It was more of a trance, a gentle lowering of his thoughts until he was relaxed, his belly full of warm meat and juice. 
his mouth full of the taste of deer meat. And while he was so, his mind more and down, the wind tearing through the darkness around the house, bringing snow off the ice to make the big drifts, covering the dogs and the garbage of the village. While he was down, down and back, Ugaric started to talk.